be wrapping up today a five-week on Influencer Redeemer. But before I jump into it, let me just give you a heads up. Coming in the month of February, we're launching a new service gathering. We're going to be meeting on Saturday night at 5.15. And we're just making more room for people. Uh, we prayed about what to do to accommodate people that are moving into town and looking for a church and want a home. I believe this is a good home. Do you believe that? Yes. Well, at this juncture, one side of me right now doesn't want to go borrow millions of dollars for the 12 acres, so we'll just open up the door one more time. So we're going to open up a 515 service starting in February, and we're just going to give it all we got. So we'll be meeting on Saturday night and two times on Sunday morning. And what we're asking you to pray, we're not asking you to go there. We're not asking you to make room and show up. What we're asking you to do is to pray that whoever God sends on Saturday night will fill it up because we want as many people that we can to know Jesus Christ. So our goal is not to just ask you to go to make more room here. The goal is we want to reach more people for Jesus Christ. So I ask you to pray with us that God's going to speak to people sovereignly who feel called to this corner to help us do the kingdom to show up on Saturday night. We're looking forward to it. Let's jump into this. I pray that as I end today that it, it brings some solace to you and some understanding. My thinking was this when this came to me, Influencer Redeemer. My thinking was in the 33 years I've pastored that so many people just know Jesus in this realm of influence, meaning this. If He doesn't touch me emotionally and fix my problems and answer my prayers, I get ticked at Him because I don't know Him as a Redeemer. If you want to know whether you know Him as a Redeemer or an influencer, you just simply ask yourself one question. Do you get irritated when He doesn't perform for you? When He doesn't do what you want Him to do? When you may be begging Him, desiring Him, and then you say, well, I need Him to heal me, but He didn't, or I wanted Him to fix my marriage, but He didn't. And so if I'm not careful, I will never move Jesus out of this realm of influence where I need Him to be my banker to give me money, my real estate agent to give me a home. I need Him to be my counselor. I need Him to be, you know, whatever it is, my lawyer to get me out of trouble. And when He doesn't perform, it's easy to just become very skeptical, very critical. But when you transfer your life into understanding He's a Redeemer... You suddenly find your, yourself in places like this. I've learned to be content no matter what comes my way. I'm not living in fear anymore. I'm not worried about what the world is going to do. I'm not worried about my own self. How many of you would like to get there? <laughs> I'm not worried about me anymore. Because a lot of times the reason we want Jesus is we want Him to fix all of my ills and all of my pills and everything I've got going on. But to come here, which is what I pray I take you to today, to come to that He's a Redeemer shifts everything. It makes getting up worthwhile. It makes going through trials, which I wish we didn't, but some, somehow we do. When we go through trials, 
It helps you stay the course. Anybody ever found yourself in a trial and you didn't feel like staying the course? You wanted to quit. You wanted to stop going to church. You quit reading the Bible. You feel guilty. Why me? I don't know if you've ever asked that. Why me? Why all this gloom and despair on me? Why all this agony on me? What did I do to deserve it? God must be out to get me. Well, things like that are simply because people never get beyond just the stories of Jesus and come into what He's really done for us. Because when you know what He done, has done for you, you don't suddenly feel like you're an orphan or that you're rejected by Him or that He's trying to teach you a hard lesson in life. How could you say that? Because He's my Redeemer. So I want to take you on a journey today. We're going to hop all through the Bible, so you can always download this and watch it or listen later, but make some notes. Let's go to our Scripture text. This has been the text for six weeks. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. This is 700 years before this. In Luke chapter 2, 700 years prior, Isaiah says, unto us a son is uh, given, a child is born. Luke 2 is what Pastor Phil read, verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the field. This is the story we just watched. This was a video. This was our Bible reading this morning. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. Now this is, this is a telltale moment because what's about to happen is a 700-year prophecy has come to pass. I will say this about God. There are things God is going to accomplish that sometimes don't happen for a long time. It's often I say this, if I just judge God off of me and my timing... I could call him a liar to Eve. Because he told Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head. But Eve never saw it. So from a human perspective, we could call him a liar because he promised Eve something would happen and it didn't happen because she died and never saw it. So if you're not careful, you will define God within the parameters of your own experience and you will often miss who he really is. Because God did answer the prayer of what He promised. It was just 4,000 years later. Meaning this, God is always true even if we don't see it. So we say He's a healer. Well, if He's a healer, why so many people die? Because you're, you're judging Him within the parameter of humanity's time frame. But if I judge Him over eternity and into eternity where He lives... How many of you know there's not a sick one among them out there? Right? So there's an essence to God's redemptive thing is that there was a 700 years of people going, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? But, but I know in that 700 year time what happens in the length of span of our life when it doesn't happen in the way we think and in the time frame, we can lose hope and lose sight. I often say about American Christianity, we're good to give God about a week. And then after that, I got to take it on myself. Because I got to get this thing done here. We're not good at longevity trusting Him. 
And the reason is, is what he says. He says, don't be afraid. The reason it's hard to trust God as a human over a span of period is we're emotional beings. He made us that way. I don't know why. He could have made us a robot, but he made us emotional. Now, to make us emotional, he's got a lot of risk there. Because the risk is, if I make Shiloh emotional, Shiloh could hate me, be mad at me. He could love me. He could reject me. Because emotional beings get the chance to define God off of their emotional situations. But God took that risk. And how many of you know there's a lot of emotionalism that's defining God today that's not even really who God is? But because we're ticked, mad, upset, a little... Well, let's say that word. But we're all of those things. (laughs) We're all of those things that we define God in ways that that are human descriptions rather than who He really is. So be careful in your walk on earth that you don't let your emotions get the best of you because if your emotions become your God, you will redefine Him as God and yourself will become the idol. And you you let emotions... I'm telling you, emotions are idols to people. I want God to make me happy, fix me. And I'm not saying He doesn't want us that way. Every father would. but, But I have to study Him in relation to this character. And now here it comes. Don't be afraid, Luke 2.10. I bring you good news that will bring great joy not to a few of you. Come on. What's about to happen is going to be good news for all of us. And you you could say things like this. Well, that doesn't make sense because you don't know the hell I've lived in. It's not good news for me because I buried this person. I lost this person. My husband, my wife, my kids, my employer, my boss, my friend. And it doesn't feel like good news, especially living in America in 2023. You're kind of waiting on, well, when's the next shoe going to drop here? Because I'd like a year of good news. Not here comes another virus. Here comes another president. Oh, God, here we go again. Another war. But when the angel showed up, he said, look, think this through. Here's something so powerful that that heaven could make a statement of truth even when it would not appear to be so. Good news of great joy to everybody. So that that means once he says all people, that means he's already shot the prophecy into the future. So right now today in the hell we're living in in American culture, right now in this moment, this is still true. There's good news and great joy for everybody in the room. Oh, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. I know. But but we don't need to judge life off you. We need to judge life off great joy, all people. And then he defines it. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And this Christmas story, here's my my understanding. We are so familiar with the story that we often lose the power of the story. It's it's like you get the new vehicle and you, you have 42 rules. Especially if you have children. There will be no eating Cheerios in this car. Everybody good with that? There's no fries in here. There's no Chick-fil-A nuggets. Nothing. As a matter of fact, take your shoes off 
Matter of fact, take all your clothes off. Sit back there nude. We will change when you get out. Like that new smell that you, you park nine miles away from where you want to go because you don't want the, the rogue buggy person to hit your car. And if anybody parks next to you, you have a moment of sinfulness. You look over like they're going to bump it. They're gonna, I'm going to kill them if they bump it. But you let that car get about three years under its belt. There'll be a dead caterpillar in there. There'll be Chick-fil-A nuggets that have been there for a year. Prizes under the seat you forgot. Dirty underwear, shoes, socks. Old Starbucks cups, moss growing all over the thing. Why? One thing only, familiarity. Familiarity makes you lose the appreciation of what you have. So take a 2,000-year-old story and we've become so familiar with the story, Santa Claus means more than the story. There's more Christians excited about Elf on the Shelf than Jesus. I'm not saying they love Elf on the Shelf more than Jesus, but we get more excited. We get excited about pumpkin spice lattes. Mm, lattes, come on somebody. I get excited that Best Buy is running 75% off. I get more excited about Christmas cookies. Why? It's not that we're demeaning Jesus. It's just that He's become so familiar to us, we've lost some of the value. And so what we have today is people who know the good news, but their emotions are their God. They definitely don't live with great joy. They're frustrated, tired, Angry, anxious, depressed, hurt, miserable, critical. And they're looking everywhere else for an answer. A new job, a new president, a new bank rate, a new this, a new that. Searching for great joy. The one thing I know about humans, no matter where you are, every human has an internal button that's always looking for joy. The answer in a man, in a woman, whatever it could be, a new pet, I'm always looking for something. And so what I would like to do is maybe rewind all of that and bring a little bit of clarity to the value of the joy of Jesus' birth. Praise the Lord, Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus, says this, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people. He has sent us a mighty Savior. It is to these two things I want to talk about. He's redeemed His people. This is my whole thinking of five weeks was to bring us to this word. He's redeemed His people. He did not just come to, to be a Christmas story. He did not come to just be put on the mantle of the fireplace. He did not come to just, you know, be part of the story of Chris Kringle and, and St. Nicholas and he really, I don't think, came so we could have Christmas. He came to redeem His people. Now when you understand this, His value in your life skyrockets. I want to teach you this today in the next few moments, if I may. But I want to do it with a guy named Job. So I want to connect you to Jesus his birth through the guy that every dad blame human in the world knows. 
We know as much about Job as we do Jesus in the world. Because you can go to anywhere and talk about Job, and all the suffering people know Job. At least we think we do, because we just know him. I, I titled him the rotting human. The human whose life had everything and lost everything. The brother hit a hellhole right in the middle of life. And we all know the suffering of Job. Well, Job, you, you, people who don't even know Jesus know Job. But tucked in the story of Job that everybody knows is suffering, but I don't, know the, I don't think they know his story. They know what religious people say, and they love to equate themselves to, Job's, to Job. But I say be careful when you equate yourself to Job because you're going you're gonna to have to really ask yourself some hard questions. I titled him The Rotting Human for this reason. We're going to dive in about the middle of his story. Here's his story in a nutshell. He feared God, and he also feared life. He was scared that life could get him and things could happen, so he was always making sacrifices to appease God so that God would be on his team. And then in one day, his entire life falls apart. He has a week from hell. He loses all of his job. He loses everything in his business, all of his money, all of his funds, all of his cattle. And then lo and behold, he loses all of his servants. They all die in a raid. So everybody that worked for him, he's lost. And then lo and behold, it gets a little worse. All of his kids die. So he's married to a woman who's ticked now because my husband has no job. We have no farm. We've lost everything. We've buried all of our kids, seven of them. Now, come on, would you like to have seven funerals in a day? We lost everything we lost, and she's a little ticked at him, so now she's kind of irritated. You know, why don't you just curse that God you serve and die? And then it gets worse. You think, what well, could get worse? It gets worse because what we read in the story is that the devil comes to attack his flesh, and now his flesh begins to rot off. He gets boils and sores. I will say it's one thing to deal with pressure externally when you're dealing with things that don't go your way, but when the pressure turns and the heat turns internally, it's you, it's your pain, it's your sickness, it's your migraine, it's your headache. It becomes very difficult. So friends come to try to tell Job what the problem are. Everybody becomes a fixer. And we show up in Job 19. He's a little... He, if, just read it. It's, don't read it tonight. It will ruin your Christmas. Just... <laughs> Wait till next Halloween, read it for the children, send them out to go get candy. <laughs> it, it's depressing. But he tells the story. My, my friends don't like me. I've lost all my friends. I've lost my business. My wife's mad. God's punishing me. Uh, my children are dead. I hate life. He just tells everything that's going on. We pick this comment up. He says this of himself in verse 20, I've been reduced to skin and bones, and I've escaped death by the skin of my teeth. It doesn't sound like the guy's had a great day. But rather than writing a book, pouting and, and being ticked at God, there's a nugget of truth that I wish every human that ever wants to talk about Job would shut up and at least read. Then give me your comments and opinions to what we think and what I would think of Job. Now talking about he's barely escaped, he's rotted to the bone, he makes this statement. But as for me, whoo, I know my Redeemer lives. 
<laughs> and, I'm a, I, I, and I know He's going to stand on earth at last and after my body has decayed, but yet in my body, I'm going to see Him face to face. This is the brother. He wasn't on the day of Pentecost. He doesn't know what it means to be saved. He doesn't have Jesus living in his heart. He doesn't have a Bible he can read. He has no church. There's no Bethel music. There's no Hillsong. There's no T.D. Jakes. There's nothing he can listen to. There's no scriptures. There's no Ten Commandments. But in the rottingness of his human flesh, when he solves everything, he just steals the story for a moment. Right in the middle, chapter 19, he steals the stupidity of all the comments we humans can make and says, well, let me just say something. Ask for me. I know my Redeemer lives. And what Redeemer? Jesus isn't even born yet. He's speaking of something that doesn't even exist, but He knows it does exist, and He knows it exists whether He's experiencing it or not. It is the most amazing thing. It makes you feel like everybody talks about Job, but do you have this kind of faith? We, we want to identify with Job. Poor, pitiful me. Nothing ever goes my way. No, 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 no. Listen to what he said. Ask for me. The dude that buried all of his kids, lost his business, lost his cattle, lost his employees, lost his mind, nearly lost his marriage, everything. Let me just silence all the whining a minute and tell you I know my Redeemer lives. That is a powerful thing. Not I know my influencer lives. Not where's the God that should be healing my body right now. I would believe Him if He would heal me. I would serve Him if He would do what I wanted Him to do. Nope, I'm just going to let you know all the funerals I've had, I still know He's a Redeemer. And then He does something that's difficult for a human. One day, watch this, this is huge, my body... We'll see him. Not my soul, my body. And this is difficult for Christians because we've been lied to. And what we've been lied to is we go to a funeral and go, now here lies Mark. And if I go before you, don't do this. Like I say, bear me black. I want it fun in the house. I don't want whining. But if somebody says this, throw stuff at them. You can, in my funeral, you just throw stuff. And just so you know, I'm going to preach my own funeral. I'm going to record myself. And you're going to have to listen to me on the TV. Go, now just sit there a minute. I'm going to talk about myself a minute. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? And then right when they close the lid, I'm going to have one of my daughters put a little the Bluetooth in there and it's close the lid and go, no, I'm still here. <laughs> I'll be talking through a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> I want to go out fun, right? So, so I, here I lay. This is what we say. I just want everybody to know this isn't the real Mark. That's a lie. That is the real me. If it wasn't the real me, there would be no reason for me to be resurrected with a new body. We act like that means nothing. It means everything. Because the Redeemer comes for this piece of luggage. So when we call Him a Redeemer, 
We're not saying that he just fixes your mental state. You can use a, you can use a psychiatrist for that. When we call him a redeemer, he's going to do what no doctor on planet earth does, that after you're done rotting, he's going to come get you and put you all back together perfect. Your body. Your body. That's how important you are to him. He says he's going to redeem my body. He says, I'll see him for myself. Yes, I'll see him with my own eyes. And I, and I love what Job says. I'm overwhelmed at this thought. Anybody ever been overwhelmed by the thought you're redeemed rather than overwhelmed by the thought of all the hell you're going through? Most of us are overwhelmed because our thoughts are the wrong place. I'm overwhelmed by the hell, not overwhelmed at the thought of redemption. Now, if you want to live a calm life as a human, you better become overwhelmed by the thought of redemption versus the thought of all the hell you're living in. Because nobody wins this one. It'll drive you nuts. Why knees and all of that? Well, here's the thought. Knowing God as a redeemer is an overwhelming thought. Meaning, if you'll learn to see Him as a redeemer, it overwhelms all the hell you're going through. And you'll go to bed and go, I don't know what's going on, but I know He's alive. I'm good. I know He's coming back to get this old boy. I'm good. Here's what redeem means. It means to atone, to make amends for the evil or error, to regain possession of you in exchange for a payment. God has to regain possession. That's what it means to redeem. I have to regain you back. You, and, and we here. this is Salvation 101. You traded your soul to Satan. I'm going to buy it back. So I'm going I'm to have to give Satan something in exchange. I'm going to have to give God something in exchange. Now let's go to the book of Psalm and answer this question and I'll let you go. Why would any human need to be redeemed by God? Because this is where we miss it. Because we don't sell redemption, we sell influence. Why does a human need Jesus? Well, he'll fix your marriage. Why would a human need Jesus? Well, he'll heal your headache. Why would a human need Jesus? Because he'll get you that job you've always wanted. Those are good things. But if I'm not careful, I sell the human need rather than the redemptive need. I sell Jesus based on what I think I need versus selling him on what God knew I needed. Does that make sense? So let's go to Psalm 49. You can read this. This is inspiring. But it's challenging. Sometimes we can zip through the Psalms and kind of miss it. So I'm going to read several scriptures out of Psalm 49. Hear this, all you people. Does that sound kind of familiar? Good news to great joy to all the people. He says this, listen. All you who live in this world. All right, is that us? All right, so he's talking to us. Both low and high, rich and poor alike. So he's let us know, no social thinking, no way you think about yourself is going to matter. What I'm about to say is going to touch us all. Why should I fear when evil days come? When wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly and no payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and ever and not see decay. Now we start understanding that redemption 
isn't just so you can come to church and go, I got saved on this day. Redemption-wise, God was trying to stop the process of decay on the human flesh. And He says, nobody can buy this for you. It's too costly. Nobody in the room has enough money to fix the real problem. What is the real problem? You humans are rotting. I know when you're young and handsome, you don't feel like you're rotting. But you go talk to an old person, they're rotten. Their hips are a little sore. Their elbow cracks every time they move it. Crack, crack, crack. I literally get up in the morning and try to be quiet. I get up in the morning and it's like... And it's like And I'm like, my Lord, I need WD-40 or something. But here's the thing we know. Everybody in the room is rotting. And that, no, that doesn't sell t-shirts. I don't want to sell you that you're rotting. You are rotting away. You can nip it. You can tuck it. You can Botox it. You're rotting. Just quit using deodorant and watch how quick we all know you're rotting. Don't brush your teeth. Someone will remind you, my God, you're rotting. Dear Lord, have you ever smelt your husband's feet? My God, rotting. Those who are wise, now nobody wants to talk about this. Even the wise finally die. Just like foolish and senseless, and they leave all their wealth behind. This is not my sermon, but it's a profound thought that Steve Jobs was one of the wealthiest men in the world with billions of dollars, but when sickness hit him, he couldn't redeem himself. We buried a wonderful human that was brilliant because he couldn't redeem his own sickness. That should speak to all of us in the room. All, no one really wants to talk about the yellow word, finally die. We want to stave it off as long as possible. Well, if you'll just get on keto, if you'll do carnivore, if you'll cut your carbs, if you'll walk 7,500 steps a day, you could add 15 years to your life. If you'll cut out the sugars, if you'll stop drinking aspartame, if you'll... All of us try not to finally die. I just got a dear a text from a dear friend of mine who, my age, we were in ministry together, just got a text that they found cancer all over his bones. Who in their 50s wants to think, well, God, I don't want to die. I want to live as long as I can. He says, but the grave is their eternal home where they'll stay forever. They may even name their estates after themselves. In other words, you get a street named after you and... But their fame will not last. They'll die and then, gosh, I hate this. It, it just burns the flesh. They die just like animals. Here's my thought. Why would a human ever need to be redeemed by God? Because no matter how pretty we bury you, we all die like an animal. We just do it different. We call all your friends and have them come. We have a wake. We put you in a really expensive casket that won't leak, guaranteed. I don't know if anybody checks that. Guaranteed. A hundred years, leak proof. I'd like to get my money back just in case, but I don't want to go dig them up. But then we put you in a cement vault that that's sealed, 
inside a cassock that's sealed, and then we put six feet of dirt that's sealed, and then we put grass that's sealed, and then we put a tombstone, and then once or twice a year we bring flowers and we talk about you. But you're in the same piece of dirt that you buried your chihuahua in. He went to the same hole you went to. We just made yours prettier. We showed a slideshow. Because if anybody came and said, look, I'm burying my dog today, we're having a wake. Like you to bring baked beans and meatloaf over. The carcass of the dog will be here for 20 hours. You can come pay your last respects to little, little Samson. And then we're going to get a $20,000 casket for a $200 dog. We're going to bury that thing in a $10,000 grave plot. Most people just go out to the yard and just put him down there, stomp him in. We're going to miss you, little buddy. Because nobody wants to really admit that no matter how pretty we bury you, all of us are no different than the animal that died out in the safari. The dog that got hit by a car. We all go to the same place. We rot. We even try to do it better because we take all of your blood and organs and we pump it full of fluid that will help you stay preserved. But no matter how much we put in you, you still die like an animal. And nobody wants to have these conversations because it's too morbid. Because we want to ignore the fact that we're all rotting. And that no matter how pretty we bury Mark, he goes to the same dirt that every other living thing goes to. To dust you are, to dust you go back. And that is a hopeless, pitiful place that you would spend your entire life working 80 hours a week, amassing money, getting all of your 401ks to only die, and you're nothing more than a picture and a memory because you, you turn into dust. But God... God will have the final word. But let me, Paul says, reveal to you a wonderful secret. Come on. I know I was a little morbid there for a minute, but get ready to get Pentecostal up in the house. Let me tell you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. For our dying bodies, come on, must be transformed into a body that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into an immortal body. This is the one thing that no doctor can do. No psychiatrist can do this for you to take your rotting body and go, don't worry about it because I'm going to redeem the rot and make you into something that is totally transformed where you can live forever. As Christians, it's what we believe. We call it the resurrection. So that I have this old physical body here and my fingers numb over here and my eyes got a cataract so... Move out of my way at night because I just can't even see you. I drive by faith. Just that one car or two cars, I don't know, turn right. And I can go get the cataract fixed, I will next year. And I can go to the gym to make my joints lubed up a little better. 
I can do all I can do, but at the end of the day, my body is going to decay. At the end of the day, my family will bury me. At the end of the day, it seems like poor pitiful dad, never. Because all I'm going to do is sit there and wait on him to come back and pick that old boy up and go, how do you feel now, Mark? And I'm like, oh, glory to God. Mm. My hip doesn't hurt. I get a redeemed body. The whole point of him being a redeemer was to redeem flesh. To do for you what no one else could do. Because you can take all the medicine in the world, but it doesn't redeem your flesh. It just postpones the pain of it. He did what no doctor could do. He did what no human could do. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from some empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was paid with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Jesus, that little baby, to be your ransom long before the world ever began, but now to reveal Him for you. Redemption is that He's going to fix all this. You'll lose sight of that if you're not careful. Because you'll be like, well, why isn't He fixing me now? He must not be real. And He's like, Mark... It's so bigger than that. It's so much bigger than did I fix your knee right now. Son, don't you understand? I'm not just talking about I can fix a knee. I can do that. I'm telling you what I did, nobody could do. It's why I'm the only way is I have paid a price for your body to be redeemed so you don't have to die like an animal. You can live forever. What a glorious thing. And somehow with Santa Claus and elves on the shelf, I lose the fact when my elbows are hurting and I'm a human and I've just got to deal with this old fleshly body, I lose the fact that He's promised to redeem me. This is the last verse and I'm going to pray for you. Psalm 49, But as for me, God will redeem my life and He will snatch me from the power of the grave. Bow your heads if you would. But as for me, Job said, my Redeemer lives. A man fraught with pain and sorrow. A man who had lost everything he worked for. A man that had every right to be bitter. A man that had every right to give the middle finger to God. My life doesn't work. If God loved me, He would. God must not love me because He let all these terrible things happen to me. No. He said, but as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. I ask you today, are you in the middle of a hellhole, a battle? Are you looking at life thinking, why me? Why did I have to go through this hell? Why am I in this situation? Why is my body sick? Why is my marriage a mess? You'll fight that battle a long time in your emotions if you're not careful. But as Job could say today, he had every right to whine. But as he came to the conclusion, but as for me, I know my Redeemer's alive. And one day, I'm going to see Him face to face. Did the pain go away? Probably not. Did he get all of his kids back? No. Oh, God rewarded him in the end for sure. Everything he lost was returned. But in the middle of your journey right now, 
Christmas is coming in the morning. We will read the stories and open the presents and drink the drinks and eat the food and make memories and post it all. But can you say, but as for me, my Redeemer lives. Can you be like the psalmist that says you've worked your whole life, you've got all the money, you've got the cars, you've got the stuff, you've got the fame, you've, you've got the retirement. Life is good. Life is really in your favor right now. But the psalmist says, when payment comes due, you won't be able to make that payment. There will come a day where you'll have to cash it all in and when you cash it in, you'll be short. It says that you'll be buried and leave your fame behind. You'll be buried. Other people will fight over your money. You'll be buried and whatever you amassed on earth will not suffice the payment. But the psalmist says, but as for me, I've been redeemed by God. So whether you're on the rich side or the poor side, whether you're on the sick side or the healthy side, whether you're on the, I, I really could use God to come through versus, well, I've had a pretty good life this year. Wherever you fall in the human spectrum of life, could you say like Job? Could you say like the psalmist? And could you say like Paul? And could you say like Zechariah? I know my Redeemer lives. And He will redeem this old body one day because of the price He paid when He came in a manger for me. Would you stand with me if you will? I tried to share with you what I've really tried to live in my life because I've lived the influencer side. I've had my fair share of comments with God riding in my vehicle. Where are you? Why won't you do this for me? Why didn't you answer this prayer? Why did you let that happen? I've struggled with those things before. Sometimes I beat myself up and think if I would have just had more faith, if I would have just prayed harder, if I would have just quoted more Scripture... Then there were times I beat myself up with guilt. Well, it must be a sin in my life. There must be something wrong. There must be a reason. Sometimes I felt like, I just feel like the devil must be picking on me because nothing's working. And, and I spent years trying to put all of those pieces of the puzzle to make sense of this thing called humanity and understand suffering and problems and where's God in the mix. And the more I kept fighting, I kept coming back to it wasn't about me, it was about Him. It was about what He did, not what I'm going through. And I landed on this one thing I shared with you today that wasn't a, just a series for Christmas. It was my life story that I've come now at age 58 to say, but as for me, God will redeem my life. And that may happen tomorrow and I see the answer to my prayer. That may happen a year from now and I see the answer to my prayer. Or they may bury me when I'm old and I didn't see all the answers to my prayer. But my testimony has been, but as for me, God will redeem my life. Well, when? I don't know. I just know He's a Redeemer. So therefore, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep believing. And when, now watch, when you pray and believe and stand on that He's the Redeemer, 
in some strange way, you find great joy. Even in the midst of a trial, great joy. Let me bless you at the end of my prayer. We'll have our elders here on either side. I'll be here up front as well if you need prayer. Our communion tables, there's four of them. We just ask that you use them. Pastor, uh, I think uh, Ryan is coming up at the end. He'll dismiss you. Bow your head. I want to pray for you. I want to bless your giving as well as the communion. If you're sowing a seed today, you take your... If you do it online or if you've previously done it, I still like to pray over it. So if you'll just place your hand over your offering or if you've given it already, just cusp your hands. Father, we're coming now to do something very strange first. We we give money, which is weird. But it's our way to say thank you because we've worked for it. We've earned it. And yet we willingly let go of what we've earned to say thank you. So there's people in this house that are coming today to give you the tithe, that are coming to give you more than that. There's some that are coming to give an offering. But however we come, I pray we come in faith and I bless your giving. As you come and you put the money in the buckets or you do it on the app or you do it at the door, Father, I ask you to bless it. Bless their seeds they're sowing. It's hard-earned money that they've earned, the hours they've worked, the sweat they've given. And now they're giving to you. And I ask you to bless them for it. Give them raises. Bless their homes. Bless their lives. Bless their employment. Give them favor in their businesses. Give them understanding as they lead their businesses. Give them favor with their boss. Work for them in astounding ways. And now, Father, I bless the bread and the wine that we partake of. I bless it as we dip it in the juice or we open the packet that it will just make a statement that you're our Redeemer. And we settle all of the criticisms we may have had and the whys we may have had. And we simply say when we bite that bread and we swallow that bread that my Redeemer lives. So my, my ask today is that as you go back to your seat and you take the communion, I'm going to leave it on the center TV here. I want you to say this as a prayer, but as for me, God will redeem my life and He will snatch me from the power of the grave. Let that be your prayer today. But not just a prayer, let it be the way you live. Let it be the way you live. That in the end, regardless, if you trust Him, you win because He redeems you. Father, thank You for this season we celebrate. I bless everyone here as they come now for communion and giving. I bless you as you go. I bless you with a great night tonight as we celebrate a great morning tomorrow as we talk about you coming to be our Savior and to give us all great joy. May this sermon sink in our soul. May we never forget it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come for communion and enjoy worship with Michael as you do.